Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning, church. How are you all doing? Excellent. My name's Tony and I have the absolute privilege this morning of continuing our series in the Word of God that I've entitled, Eyes Wide Shut. Everyone say, Eyes Eyes. Wide Shut. The reason I felt to call it Eyes Wide Shut is because I want to give some insight into the unseen spiritual realm. It's a series about the devil, demons and demonic activity. And the reason I felt to put our uh, series on hold that we were going to do for the sake of this series is because I realised as I was sharing a thought not too long ago that there are many people who have just been uh, not schooled in the area of the unseen realm. And I realised there are many people today because they are unaware that there is indeed a demonic realm. If you don't know there's a demonic realm, then surely you're just going to blame God for all the bad things that happen. And I realised that's why the number one question that people often ask is, if God is a God of love, why do bad things happen? And that's because they have not been taught about the evil realm, the evil influences that are out there outside of the love of God. And so last week in our first part of this series, Eyes Wide Shut, we looked at the two extremes and there are a lot of extremes in the body of Christ. and There are a lot of extremes in our world today. And we looked at the fact that there are those that see demons in everything. Well, we are not a church like that. We are not gonna go back to the 1980s or the early 1990s Rest assured, we are not going back to that where there is devils in everything. Devils in TV, devils in uh, cereal boxes, devil here, devil there, devils everywhere. We're not going back to that. Having said that, the other extreme is to say there is no devil, um, there is no demonic influence. All the bad today is because of the biological reasons, the um, chemical reasons, the generational reasons, and we start blaming all those other things. And I do believe that uh, there are some reasons in and around those things that uh, cause bad things to happen. I think if you get too many of the wrong chemicals in your body, it's not going to do you or anyone else around you any good. I do believe that uh, your upbringing can play a big part in the way you think. And uh, so I don't want to dispute those thoughts, but I want to add to those thoughts this very real Um, thought that there is a devil and there is demonic activity that plays in our world today. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, it says our struggle. In other words, we are going to have struggles in this world in which we live, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against chemistry, biology or the generations, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. Last week we looked at that scripture and I talked about the fact that we need to know our enemy. It is better the devil you know than the devil you don't. And so we need to study our opponent, not obsess over our opponent, not obsess over the devil, but we need to be schooled on what he did in order to know what he's going to do. And so we talked a little bit about that last week. We talked about the fact that uh, he was once known as Lucifer, the bright morning star. He was one of the archangels along with Gabriel and Michael. And uh, he was one of the chief worship leaders, one of the angels that led other angels in worship to this God. And they circled the throne of God. Remember last week we had a throne up here and he would circle the throne of God and they would sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Lucifer would say, now, come on, angels, you can do better than that. Come on, let's lift our voice this morning. And say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That was his key purpose. But then somewhere in his heart, there was a shift. And he began to say, you know what? I think I could be like God. 
And we read in Ezekiel chapter 14, five times he said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he made the worship experience all about himself. Can I just say, when we come to worship God, worship is not about us. So if you didn't like the worship this morning, I want to say, I'm so sorry we weren't worshipping you. I'm so sorry it wasn't about you and it wasn't to your liking, but it was never about you. Worship is to God. We join with the angels and, and circle the throne of God and we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the moment we move away from that, we become like the devil himself. who wasn't content to worship God anymore. He actually wanted to be on the throne. But uh, he was kicked out of a heaven as a result of his rebellion. And he took one third of the angels with him. And those angels are known as demons. And they were cast into an abyss called hell. And they look to wreak havoc here on earth today. The primary preoccupation of the devil right now is to do on earth what he could not fulfill in heaven. He could not remove God from his throne. So what he seeks to do is wreak havoc in our, in our lives and get God off the throne and put us on the throne. And that's where the battle is today. The good news, having said all that, is that unlike God, the devil is not all-powerful. Unlike God, the devil is not all-knowing. The devil cannot read your mind. He's not all-knowing. And he's not ever-present. In other words, he's not omnipotent, he's not omniscient, and he's not omnipresent. Unlike God, he has a limit to his rule and a limit to his reign. And that's good news for us today. He wanted to be like God, but guess what? He's not. He wanted to be like him, but he's not. And here's another fact, nor are you. We want to be God and Lord and master of our own life, but you can't because you're not all knowing. You're not ever present. God is all knowing. Only God is all knowing. Only God is all powerful. And only God is ever present. The devil is limited in his knowledge. He's limited in his understanding. He's limited in his power. He's limited in his ability to be at one place at one time. He's limited. Having said that, he still is powerful. Having said that, he still is knowledgeable. He has all history on his side. I don't know who out there loves history, but the devil is a keen observer of history because he was there. We read books, we get on the internet to study history. He just goes back into his memory because he was there. So he is knowledgeable. He is powerful. And he is an incredible schemer. Can I just say this? In the time of Jesus, there seemed to be a lot of demonic oppression and deliverance. People had demons in them and they came out at the command of Jesus. Can I just say this, that, that demons don't die, but demons aren't growing in number either. But the population of the earth is increasing. And so there's a lot more people on the planet today, but there's no more demons. And I believe one of the strategies of the enemy whereby he can't possess us because there's not enough of them versus the population of the people. He puts schemes in place. He puts things in place in order to keep us bound. And so we are fighting the schemes, not necessarily the devil himself, but we are definitely fighting his schemes that he puts in place. And as a keen observer of history, he understands what trips people up. And so he continues to put that into practice over and over and over again. And one of his greatest tools is the internet. One of his greatest schemes is the internet in tripping people up today. He doesn't have to demonically possess you when he's got the internet on his side. Are you with me? There are things on the internet that are good and there are things on the internet that are not good and we need to stay away from them. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the hands of the enemy through one of his schemes. And so it's his schemes that we are fighting and we need to be aware of that very fact. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power and put on the full armour of God so that you may take your stand against the schemes of the enemy. There are very real schemes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. 
And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan may not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. It's amazing. One of his schemes is for us to live in unforgiveness because he can hold us bound if we live in unforgiveness. These are the schemes of the enemy. And he whispers in our ear, no, you don't have to forgive after all they did to you. They don't appreciate you. They don't love you. They're saying these bad things. About you. And he holds us in unforgiveness and it's a scheme of the enemy. And so we've got to be very aware of his schemes. And today and next week and maybe even the week after, I want to look at three of, of, of the main schemes, the main ways, the main distractions that God seems, uh, the devil wants to get us off point. And so today I want to talk to you about a little word called, a little word called temptation. Turn to the person next to you and say temptation. Turn to the other person, I hope I'm not tempted this morning. And for those of you who are hoping that I'll have a throne up here and a snake or a budgie or a dog or some other animal up here, I'm sorry to disappoint. It's just me. Just me. But it was the world's best behaved snake. Don't you agree? Just sat there on my, lap, on my, on my shoulders, on the, on the stool there. Anyway, so we're going to talk about temptation. For this is a very real scheme and strategy that the enemy wants to bring us down. And I want to read a well-known portion of Scripture. It's found in Matthew. Matthew was one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. And when Matthew was coming to the end of his life, he, he started to write down what he saw, what he heard, so that it would not be lost. So this is not a parable. This actually took place in the time of Matthew, in the life of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, <laughs> he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from his mouth. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Before we look into the Scriptures and delve into it just a little bit deeper, I just want to highlight one thing and that is the purpose of temptation. The purpose of temptation ultimately is twofold. This text starts by saying that Jesus himself was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The devil, sorry, God does not tempt anybody. God did not tempt Jesus on that occasion and he will not tempt you. God is not the tempter of our faith. But he does allow temptation to come our way. You've got to get this. He does allow temptation to come our way in order to test us and strengthen our resolve in order that we may fulfil our purpose. So He allows things to happen to strengthen us so that our purpose may come to pass. See, temptation is all about purpose. God has purpose in mind in allowing you and I to be tempted. He wants our purpose to come to pass. And in order for our purpose to come to pass, we have to pass certain tests. We have to be strong enough in order for that purpose to come. It's purpose that God has in mind in allowing us to be tested and tempted. So that's the first purpose. 
The second is that he was tempted by the devil. The temptation of Christ was to short circuit the plan and the purpose that God had for Christ on planet earth. He tempts us in order for us to do wrong, in order that the purpose of God on our life would not come to pass. So God allows us to be tempted in order to strengthen us for purpose. The devil tempts us in order to put us off point, in order to cause us to fail and do wrong so that the purpose of God is not filled in our lives. He wants to kill, steal and destroy the purpose of God on your life and in your life. So God will test us so that our purpose comes to pass and the devil will tempt us in order the purpose of God does not come to pass. Does that make sense? Every, uh, so the enemy tempts us to do wrong and God tests us to make us strong. The devil tempts us to do wrong. God tests us to be strong. And so the strategies the devil uses in the temptation process, in the temptation of Christ, is worth looking at this morning and I want to look at what he did to Jesus because if we understand what the devil did, we will understand what the devil will do. He's not creative like God. He can't speak things into existence like God did in the very beginning. He's not creative like God. But then again, he doesn't have to be because the old things work really, really well. Give someone an apple, they bite and they're in trouble. I mean, it just works. And so if we can look at what the devil did to heaven's best, then maybe, just maybe, we can be prepared for any demonic activity, any demonic thoughts, any demonic ways that come our way so that we can be at the ready and on our guard. So I've got eight things I want to get through very quickly this morning. And that's why I rushed my whole introduction. If you're wondering why I was speaking fast this morning, that is why. So I can get to these eight points. That's why we've got no snakes, no thorns, just me talking this morning. All right. If we know what he did, we will know what he uh, will do. The first thing that we see the devil did is this. He waits for an an opportune time. He waits for an opportune time. The Bible says that Jesus had been in the desert for 40 days. And it's kind of like a parallel to Israel being in the desert or the wilderness for 40 years. And during this time, it says that Jesus fasted. So he's gone 40 days without any food. And the Bible, probably one of the greatest understatements in the Scripture, says he was hungry. This is not 40 minutes, people. Some of you are like sitting here, I wish you'd hurry up. I'm so starving. I haven't eaten for 40 minutes. This is not 40 minutes. This is not the 40-hour famine. I know some of you do the 40-hour famine and all you do is eat a whole heap of barley sugars because apparently you're allowed to have barley sugars. It didn't say make your diet barley sugars for the next 40 hours, sucking them down. But this is 40 days and the Bible, biggest understatement in the Scripture says, he was hungry. And guess who shows up when he was hungry? Guess who shows up in the desert when he was hungry? I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I'm not at my best. When I'm tired, I'm not at my best. The devil waits for an opportune time. He doesn't wait for you to be at your best, but he waits for that time when he can catch you off guard. He waits for an opportune time. And usually those two opportune times are when you are feeling invincible. Like you can take on the world and do anything. And you feel so close to God, you no longer need to go to church or need to read your Bible because you're just so close to God and you and Him are it. Invincible, that's when He can bring you down. Or when you're feeling vulnerable. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm tired, I'm hungry. I feel unappreciated, I feel unloved. And the devil gets in your ear and says, you know why you feel unloved? Because nobody loves you. 
You know why you're eating worms? Because that's what you do when nobody loves you. It's an amazing thing. Jesus is in the devil all alone for 40 days. Now he's getting hungry and the devil shows up. What's your appetites? What are your appetites? Do you know when you're vulnerable? Do you know when you're feeling invincible? Because when you're feeling invincible and when you're feeling vulnerable are the two times the devil is most likely to want to come and put some thoughts into your head and start attacking you and getting you to entertain things that you would not otherwise have entertained. You know when you've just eaten and you're full and someone says, hey, do you want something? It's, just, it's easy to reject. It's like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not hungry. But when you're hungry, when you're hungry, it gets you to do some crazy things. Esau sold his birthright to his younger brother just because he was hungry. And the moment he had his fill, and the moment he was satisfied in his belly, he said, what have I done? I'll tell you what you've done. You've just blown it, mate. You gave in in that moment of temptation. Firstly, he waits for an opportune time. Secondly, now, now you've got to understand, Jesus is the greatest person that's ever walked. This is the devil at his best. This is the devil doing all that he can muster. So if we can be aware of these things, it's going to be a lot harder for us to be caught out. Secondly, the devil quoted Scripture... P.S. Out of context. On the second temptation, the devil, being the theologian that he thinks he is, quotes from Psalm 91. And he says, basically, that if you jump off the pinnacle of this temple, which is about a 450 foot drop, 137 metres, if you jump off the pinnacle of this temple, the angels will come and catch you and you will not be hurt because it says in Psalm 91. Have you ever read Psalm 91? There's a lot more to it than just angels catching you. This is what he loves to do. He loves to manipulate people with a love for the spectacular. What was he trying to do? He was trying to use the Word of God to justify doing something supernatural, doing something spectacular, that your fame might spread throughout the land. Your fame might spread throughout the land. I imagine, I imagine the devil standing next to Jesus and him saying, hey, Jesus, how many followers you got on Instagram? Man, if you jump up here and the angels catch you, I'm telling you, you're gonna have a gazillion followers. And that's important to a lot of us out here. I know some of you befriend a lot of people you don't even know in order that they'll befriend you back. Then you get rid of them so that your followers are much higher than the people that you follow. I know how it works. You've done something. Some of you young ones have done that. You've got a whole heap of people you don't know to follow you and then you stop following them. And you say, ha I've got more followers now. Some of you have 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 followers. You don't even know that many people. And I want to tell you, if that, if that tickles our liking, we are going to be susceptible. Because that's what's going on in this moment. Instant fame. People love the spectacular. Don't worry about the local church. Don't worry about the local pastor. Don't worry about working through the process. Let's just have instant spectacular fame. Because people are impressed with miracles and wonders. But we're not that impressed with a long marriage. 46 years of marriage, big deal. But oh, angels came. Doesn't matter when they put you down, you went down and got drunk, stoned, slept with someone. Uh, it doesn't matter. That's the guy that got caught by angels. We're so impressed with the spectacular. Thank God that Jesus is not. Thank God he's far more concerned with you and character. And so he's modeling something here. He's not allowing the supernatural or the spectacular to get him off point. Remember, that's what the devil wants to do, is get you off point. He's trying to get us to forget our purpose. And one of his strategies is to blatantly misuse Scripture. 
One of the devil's favorite schemes is to quote scripture out of control, uh, sorry, out of context. You know, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. All you got to do is say enough of the Bible and leave enough of the Bible out, and you can make it say whatever you want. I can make the Bible say that God is a woman by quoting, God is not a man. That's what it says. It goes on to say that he should lie. He's not a man that he should lie. Context is not male or female. It's just a man that he should not lie. But if I stop, he's not a man, then he must be a woman. You can make the Bible say whatever you want. And that's exactly what the devil did here. He took the scripture, the sacred word of God, the sacred text out of context as a pawn in his game. And we were taught many, many years ago that a text without a context is nothing more than a pretext. And a pretext is an excuse to do something or say something that is not accurate. This is not true, but I want to, I want to be able to say something to justify what I want to do. And so people talk about, you know, I don't believe the New Testament, tithing is New Testament. And we quote a few scriptures to justify that behaviour. But if you can't see tithing, if you can't see generosity in the New Testament, you haven't read the New Testament. Seriously. And I wonder what is driving us to look so hard for tithing not to be in the New Testament, for giving not to be in the New Testament. What is, is, is that not what is going on here? Is that not a devilish thought trying to misinterpret Scripture when generosity and giving is right throughout the New Testament? In actual fact, giving and generosity is not New Covenant or Old Covenant. It's an eternal principle. God so loved the world that He gave, not 10%, He gave heaven's best. And Jesus didn't give 10% of His life. He gave His whole life. Come on, we've got to read the whole Word of God, the whole counsel of God's Word. Not just bits we want. And when we, when, we are, when we are hell-bent, inverted commas, on, on, on you know, wanting the Scripture to say something, we've got to ask, where's that coming from? Why am I trying to talk myself out of being generous? Why am I fighting so hard to prove a point against the flow and the ebb of what New Testament life is all about? That's what he does. He misquote, uh, misquotes Scripture. Thirdly, the devil offered a shortcut to God's purpose. This is an amazing thing to me. As I was preparing, I didn't have this as my initial thought, but I started delving a little bit deeper. And I just, I just saw this clearer than I've ever seen it before. The devil offered Jesus three things in each temptation. In the first temptation, he offered him bread. In the second temptation... The devil offered him angels. And in the third temptation, the devil offered Jesus kingdoms. Bread, angels and kingdoms. All of which were God's plan for Jesus. But what's the difference? If God wanted him to have them and the devil was offering, what's the problem? Here's the difference. The devil was offering those things to Jesus before the appointed time. See, what the devil wants to do is offer you things before you are ready to handle them because he knows if he can give them to you before you're ready to handle them, you will lose them and that's what he wants. He wants you to lose what you've been given. That's how he works. You want bread? Just turn those stones into bread. Boop. But there's a process. And God, this is God's attitude. If you want to go get to it, you've got to go through it. There's a process. I remember being at school learning about, not the birds and the bees necessarily, but butterflies and caterpillars. And I, and I remember uh, just having a, a caterpillar that went into a cocoon and a chrysalis. We, we watched it. You know, you have those experiments and he's in this little plastic game and you're just watching him. And like, that's not, nothing's happening. Go to the next day. Nothing. Go to the next day. Weeks would go by, just like nothing's happening. And, and, and every boy that I know, because I asked, don't, don't, how about we just get in there and just help him out? <laughs> how many of you have ever thought like that? Just come on, dude. It's not that hard. Just push. Come on. Gee, I can. <laughs> and I never forget one time I was in, I was in class and I was touching this thing. Tony, what are you doing? Nothing. 
I'm like, devil made me do it. And it's just... And it was explained to me that if you were to help this caterpillar along the process, you will rob it of its strength it needs to survive as a butterfly. The, the, the struggle and the wrestle in getting out of the chrysalis is what gives it the strength to fly as a butterfly. And so in helping it and getting to it before its due time is actually to hinder the process and to stop its purpose of being a butterfly. And that's what the devil wants for you. He'll give you whatever you want. He's happy for Christmas to come early for you. Why wait till the 25th? Have it now. And that is, if there was one thing that I would say, what marks the spirit of this age, it would be this. I want it all and I want it now. It's like the spirit of this age that we want everything and we want it now. And the reason the devil's happy to give it to us is because he knows it can kill us. Remember the prodigal son? He went up to his father. One of the great stories Jesus told. He went up to his father and said, give me my inheritance. I'm sick to death of living under your rules and regulations and roof. I'm out. And so the father lovingly gives him his inheritance. But because he wasn't mature enough, because he hadn't learned about wealth creation, because he hadn't learned about managing time and managing money, because he hadn't learned some of those basic things, he went out and just spent. You don't have to learn how to spend. You don't need a school. Like, how do I spend money? Who here has had to learn how to spend money? Who here has had to learn how to punch a little brother in the head? No, those things come naturally. We've got to learn restraint. And so the prodigal son gets all this money and he blows it all. He loses it all. Why is it so many people that win the lottery lose all the money that they get? Because they haven't learned how to handle it. God wants to give us so much. And some of the reasons why it takes so long for us to get so much is we are slow to learn. If you're really sick and tired of God taking his time, maybe, just think about this, maybe the slowness is because of our slowness to learn. And the devil wants to get us out of that chrysalis and say, fly, be free, knowing full well that we will not fly nor be free. And that's exactly what it wants, to get us off point. And so when you've got a dad who loves you, or a mum who loves you, or a pastor who loves you, or a music director that loves you, and is actually willing to say some things that others weren't, don't discount that maybe, maybe they're the, they're the ones who are actually loving you and, and trying to help you through your process. Can I just say this when it comes to leadership? Just because you get 20 people to agree with you doesn't mean you're right. It just means you've got 20 people who see it from your point of view. That's why we need leaders. That's why we need people who are ahead of us. That's why God places us in a family. That's why we have mums and dads. Kath and I have been often outnumbered by our kids, three to two. They didn't agree with us. They didn't see it. And thank God our family was not left to a vote. Who wants McDonald's? Three hands always go up. <laughs> we would have the biggest, unhealthiest kids if we just let them do what they want to do because they had the numbers. Having the numbers doesn't mean you're right. We need people who love us enough not to let us out of the chrysalis, but stand from the side like, come on, you can do it, push. Come on, one more. You know, when, when you're in the gym and you're spotting someone, I, I say this to Kathy, Beno's learned to train with me over the years, and so he'll just, he'll, he might take a pound or two off just to help me to that sticking point. Because to take too much is just, just to defeat the purpose of what we're doing. Kath just grabs the thing and just pulls it up. I think she gets sick of waiting for me. Just like, it's just taking too long. And somebody told I look really impressive, I must admit. And just like, and just, but I know intrinsic, it's not doing me any good. It's helping her. He, she's just like, Whoa. but you've got to let people go through the heat. You've got to let people go through the pain. And it's in those moments where God doesn't love me. God's a God of love. Why is he allowing this to happen? Because he loves you. Why? Because he loves you. Why won't he rescue me? Because <laughs> he loves you. Why won't he get me out of this pickle that I'm in right now? Because he loves you. The trouble is we don't know what love is, nor what love looks like. That's the problem. We have a warped perception of love. Like, I love ice cream. God's not ice cream. 
I love chocolate. <laughs> I love God. Yeah, well, it's a different thing. So the devil's happy to give you whatever. It's an amazing thing. Jesus got the bread. Angels did come and tend to him. And the kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. He got it all anyway. He just didn't get it right there. Right at that moment. And that's the spirit of the age that we're fighting. I want it now. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. This is the temptation we're going to face. It's one of the greatest schemes of the enemy. It's one of the greatest schemes of the enemy. People jump from church to church because they can't get a gig here because we're disciplining them. They go to another church. They're leading worship. They're singing. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're preaching. They're leading a church. It's crazy. And we call it church. I call it confusion. You're working with someone in a chrysalis. Say, come on, man, you can do it. Someone, some of the pastor comes, just opens, like, hey, come here. One of the hardest things in bringing up your children is other parents. <laughs> Teachers. Yeah? Adults. Youth leaders. <laughs> and we have to have chats all the time. They may do that in that house, but we don't do it here. We draw a line in the sand. We don't do that here. We don't do that here. Number four. Good job I had a short introduction. The devil took Jesus to church. It's amazing to me that the devil took Jesus to the temple and stood on the pinnacle of the temple. In other words, what I get from that is the devil's happy with you going to church. He's not opposed to you going to church. With the proviso, you just don't change. Don't change, and he's happy for you to go to church. In actual fact, if you've made a commitment not to change, he'd rather you go to church because you bring confusion. He would rather the church get lukewarm through people that are distracted and not wanting to change because that's what he wants to do. If he, can, if he can get you to go to church and be a distraction at church and get distracted, that's better than not going to church at all. I think part of the plan of the enemy was to, to have this spectacular moment in front of the people of God. And that would have been his downfall, in front of the people of God. The devil wants us to fall in church. He wants us to fall anywhere, but if he can get us to fall in church, if he can get believers falling, all the better. He wants to distract us. What are some of those distractions when we talk about the volume of the music? When we talk about whether we got anything out of worship, all these things are distracting. We're missing the point. The devil rubs his hands together and says, at church and they're arguing about what the worship's like. This is awesome. When we're sitting there pretending we're taking notes, but really we're looking at Instagram. Honestly, can I say, when the word of God has been preached, you should not be checking Instagram. It's a distraction. It's a, it's a distraction of the enemy. And football can wait. You don't need to check the football scores. Seriously, I think we've got a disease. If we can't go through a service without checking the football scores, we have a problem. And it's not whether I'm into football or not. It's that there is a demonic activity tempting you. Go on, go on, look at the score. Look at the score. Look at the score. Really, what does it matter? What does it really matter? You're going to find out anyway. And it's far more important that we listen to the Word of God at that moment. And yet there's this temptation. Look at it. Look at it. Look at Instagram. When has someone's liked your post yet? When have you got any more followers? It doesn't matter. But let's be honest. How many of us fall for that temptation? And it's a distraction. I was preaching away in Geelong this week. 
And as, as I'm preaching away, I no sooner finish, get down, and this guy shouts out, oh man, Geelong lost by 110 points. I'm like, and the pastor's like, man, we love you, Tony. It's been fantastic having you. I'm like, really? Maybe for you, but maybe there's one guy who wasn't quite all there. I don't know. Just saying. And again, it's, it's not about listening to me. It's about listening to the Word. He wants to distract us. Number five. The devil questioned God's authority. If you are the son of God, he said. See, the amazing thing about this moment, Jesus has been told by the father through the baptism that he was indeed the son of God. This is my son, my beloved son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. Jesus knew who he was, and yet the devil was trying to get him confused about who he was and getting him to a debate and a discussion. And let's look at the scriptures. Let's find out for sure. And all it is is trying to get him off point. And Jesus held his line. And he said, I don't have to explain myself to you. I don't have to explain myself. I know as a young man growing up in a home where my dad was right into physical culture and obviously a strong man for his size and weight and, and uh, often going to the gym. And when I started going to the gym because I saw what I saw in him and I, and I liked that and kind of wanted to emulate it at some level, I remember someone saying over me when I was quite a young man just starting out in the gym. They, 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 they just said this over me. It was in jest. Uh, now we'll see if he's really Keith's son. As if, as if whether I'm his son or not is depending on how strong I am or am not. I mean, what a stupid thing to say. I've got a birth certificate that says I'm his son. <laughs> If I never lift a weight in my life, I'm still his son. And this naive thought that I had is exactly where God wants us. You don't have to jump through hoops to prove that you're anything. We've got a birthright. I've been born again. I don't have to try and prove how strong I am. I just have to just say, hey, look, I've got a father in heaven who loves me. He sent his son who died for me. And he's trying to get us off point the whole time. Getting us to jump through hoops. And he does it with questions. If you are. If you are Keith Rainbow, son, bench press this. I don't need to do that. I can do it just to show how strong and awesome I am. (laughs) It's got nothing to do with being his son. And so what I do, just to get a win-win, I, I produce the birthright, the birth certificate, and then I just, anyway, just to, anyway, that's right. <laughs> the devil wants to tempt us in every way, in every area of life. We see that he tested Jesus physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's what he's going to do for us. Just when you think you've got one area of your life sorted, there's another area. Because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy wants to rob you of your health, your family, your marriage, your finances, your peace, your joy. Number six, if the band can start coming up, that'd be great. Tempted Jesus in every year of life. Number seven, the devil overplayed his hand. You know, when the first temptation came, he said, hey, I can see you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? It seems like, it seems like care. He's so subtle. He's a master schemer and manipulator. It started out as care. Sometimes when you're under a demonic attack, you think, I, I, I just don't know where it's coming from. And, it's, and you get some of the nicest people. Religious people are some of the nicest people. So, oh man, I love your church. It's amazing. Hey, Tony, speaking to my life, say whatever you want. And it gets confusing as to what they really mean because it seems kind, it seems caring, it seems nice, it seems like they're on board. But with every temptation that came, it got more and more blatant until in the end the devil goes, worship me! And if you can endure the temptations that come your way, it'll become more and more apparent what this really is. If you can hold your line long enough and say, no, I love you, but no, I'm, I'm not prepared to, 
People to show their true colours. People to show their true colours. He overplays his hand. And lastly, number eight, the devil couldn't stand up against the Word of God. Jesus quoted scriptures on three occasions for every temptation that came his way. Three times he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, again, paralleling the time where the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. He took that moment in time and drew from history and quoted for that moment. In other words, Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus in the desert for 40 days, or us 2,000 years later going through our moments, there's a consistency. Jesus kept going back. That's all you got to do. Just quoted the Word of God. Quoted the Word of God. Quoted the Word of God. What got Israel through the wilderness was this Scripture, this Scripture, and this Scripture. What's going to get me through the wilderness is this Scripture, this Scripture, and this Scripture. What's going to get us through the wilderness is this Scripture, this Scripture, and this Scripture. You don't have to find some new translation, some funky way of saying something that doesn't mean anything. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Say, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God. Serve Him only. You've got to get this. This is why so many people burn out in church. We, we flip the Scripture. So you've got, you've, got to, you've got to say the Scripture as it's said. He said, worship and then serve. Which one is it? It's both. But it's worship first. If you lose your worship, you'll lose your service. But if you keep your worship, you'll keep serving because the service will flow out of worship. Many people give up on church. Many people get burnt out because they just made it all about serving. Serve, 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 serve. Feel unappreciated. And they miss the point. And Jesus went back to the Scriptures that were written thousands of years earlier. He said, it's written. It's written. Man should not live on bread alone. He was not saying bread is evil. It's kind of like bread is evil in this day and generation. Gluten-free, this, gluten-free. I think we've missed the point. I imagine at the right time, Jesus just grabbed that bread and stuffed it down his face and just said, thank you, God. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. But people use scriptures like that. And that's why we don't have bread because it doesn't. You just can't live on that stuff alone. Have some bread, but have the Word of God. Make sure you have the Word of God. Then it says this, having quoted the Scriptures. I mean, Jesus, just, Jesus didn't have a throne and a snake to emphasize the point. It's just the Word of God. I mean, I love this on Sunday. We get snakes and we get thrones. We get music and we get... That's great. But in the desert... In your wilderness, there's none of those things. Just go back to the Word of God. It's enough. It's enough. And it says the devil left him. Eventually he'll flee. The temptation is coming your way. The bombardment, he'll flee. And then it says the angels came and they ministered to him. One of the greatest things about prayer is the employment or the release of angels to do our bidding, to minister on our behalf, to stay the hand of the enemy in the unseen realm. You know, as I think about Jesus going on the cross, and it was Jesus himself said that you've got to pick up your cross. And we sort of think, we're waiting for that elusive moment where we have to pick up this wooden thing that looks like a cross. We're waiting for that because that's what Jesus did. What I want to say, if you're waiting for that, your day's not coming, unless you do a, an Easter Sunday play, an Easter Sunday production, but that's not coming your way. You're not going to get crucified as Jesus was crucified. Stop waiting for that moment. It's not coming. We live in Adelaide. Can't even spank kids anymore. We're not going to get crucified. The cross to me is not a wooden object that Jesus would nail to, although that was very much 
his cross. But the cross that he bore and the cross that you and I will bear in following Christ is this. It's a life that is misunderstood. It's doing things that no one else gets and no one else understands because they don't get it. And when tempted and you say no, what do you mean no? It's just bread. For goodness sake, man, it's just bread. Don't be so fanatical. That's your cross moment. Don't wait for this wooden object to get thrown on your shoulder and a man by the name of Simon to come in here. That's not going to happen. But it's this life being misunderstood. And there's no more time when you are misunderstood than when you are being tempted and you hold your line. Tempted to sleep with someone before you're married. You say, no. And sometimes we don't even know how to handle that well. So we just run away and go, ah. And I look at him. What about stupid? You're being misunderstood. It's the cross. And everyone else is pointing the finger and laughing and joking and teasing. And there's a smile on the Father's face in heaven. That's the cross. Misunderstood. People don't get you. That's the cross. The other aspect of the cross is this. When the temptations and the pressure comes in waves, not just once. It's like a, you can be in a storm, then there's the perfect storm. Remember Paul had that shipwreck in the latter part of Acts on his way to Rome. And they're in this storm for 14 days. They couldn't had no sun, no moon, it was just dark and up and down. And they gave up all hope of being saved. And then an angelic visitation encouraged Paul. And he says, quick, eat. We're about to run ashore. You need some strength. So they eat a little bit of food. They, 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 they run into some land. The, the ship is broken up. People get to this island. Whoa, storm's over. Whoa. Getting some wood. This is the day the Lord has made. Then a snake comes out of the wood and bites them. I mean, this is like the perfect storm. It's one thing after another. It's relentless. That's the cross. It's being misunderstood and having to attack, uh, handle wave upon wave upon wave of pressure and opposition and misunderstanding. It wasn't just the cross that Jesus went through. One of his closest friends betrayed him. All of his disciples left him. He was beaten, battered and bruised. That's a bad day. Then he gets crucified. Then people are mocking him. It's just like one thing after another. And yet he never sinned. The Bible says it this way, that he was tempted and tested in every way as we are. Yet he never sinned. I'll give my life for a man like that. I'll serve him all the days of my life. I'll get to church and I'll turn off my Instagram and I'll turn off my phone and I'll turn off my footy tips for a man like that. One who can endure being misunderstood and one who can endure the relentless wave of opposition. When Jesus hung upon the cross, he did it with you and I in mind. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.